Welcome to another episode of Bringing Down the Grindhouse, a podcast where we discuss horror in media. And today we're going to be discussing Us and Get Out. How's it going, John? It's going well. I really, I really dug into these movies for the critical analysis. And just really was looking for a lot of clues in it. But before we get into it, how are you doing, Eddie? I'm in the sunken place right now. <laughs> That's such a good <laughs> reference already. <laughs> Straight into it. Yeah, I'm feeling marginalized. We're going to have to figure out... We're going to have to have a discussion on what we think the sunken place is as far as, like, metaphors go and how he was explaining it during the film visually as well as the outside social commentary for something like that. Mm-hmm. So we will definitely get into it once we get to that part of the film, especially with Get Out, because that was when we were first introduced to it. But what film did you guys want to start with first? Did you want to start with the second one, with Us, or with Get Out? I think I think we should start with Us. Us is definitely what we're going to start it's with. the most recent one and mm-hmm. it was definitely more experimental in my mind and so before we start we're really bad at names so i wrote down all of the names so <laughs> i know I, i'm terrible with names and Glorious. i can never remember them so the main characters are gabe who is the husband adelaide who's the wife zora who is the little girl and jason who's a little boy and then they have their counterparts which are abraham red pluto and umbre and so i will try to refer to them by their names as often as possible and and forgive me for screwing it up <laughs> multiple times <laughs> what did you guys make of the quote right from the get-go they give you a quote about the united states having a lot of underground, basically underground like, tunnels and like um abandoned places do you think it was sort of to prepare you for something later in the film or was it a reference to something else chud cannibalistic humanoid it there is a videotape of chud that was playing when the tv in the beginning of the movie oh my god that's such a good catch what holy can you explain a little more about it well chud is like these mutant underground creatures and it's a like 80s b horror flick um the acronym is chud cannibalistic humanoid underground dwellers okay but i think that was also like jordan peele's intention of like his love for horror movies yeah and his from the era that he was born and raised on what um what was that first introduced in in us or uh chud was it used in a specific film or was it just a descriptor that kind of came about because of horror no chud is the name of the movie oh chud is the name of the movie oh i miss i misheard okay yeah yeah so and there, this movie has like underground people in it. They're underground dwellers, pretty much. Right. It's like kind of like seems sort of like a callback to that old school movie. So it's sort of like him saying, right, "Here's a cameo. Here's an Easter egg for you horror buffs out there. If you remember Chud." And then it's relative because of the underground society yes. and whatnot that exists. So, so it's kind of a foreshadowing. Exactly. In a way, is what I would put it foreshadowing as. Foreshadowing right off the bat. Yeah. The exact quote is: "There are thousands of miles of tunnels beneath the continental U.S." Abandoned subway systems, unused service routes, deserted um, mine shafts, and many have no purpose at all. And so that was the quote that they start with and they go straight into the film. And so I was kind of curious what you guys thought about the use of Hands Across America, and especially in 1986. That's like the exact year that they reference. I'm surprised that they used such, an, like, such <clears throat> a recognizable name and then immediately just used that as sort of a a foreshadowing as well as sort of a plot narrative. Do yeah. you think that it ends up being the symbolism? Yeah. Is it more of a symbolism to kind of get you in the right headspace for what you're watching? 
I think it was also the, like the unification and mindset of the tethered. In yeah. A way. But it was also a failed like um, humanitarian. Uh, did did that organization or that movement was it very successful? I honestly don't know too much about Hands Across America. Hands, Hands Across, if I if I'm correct, that's the name of the organization. Yeah. Okay, so the Hands Across America is the uh, the is it I met is it the <clears throat> fictional organization? It's a real place. No, that was real. real. Oh, okay, understood. Okay, gotcha. So that's something yeah. that I missed on as far as like historical it accuracy was to goes. Help like homeless people. Okay. Out like people who are in poverty or homeless, mm-hmm. and there was like a certain like amount of money that went to the people who needed help, but the rest went back to uh, something else. I think it w- that didn't end up failing because somebody was embezzling money. I th- that's yeah. They talk about that in a a us uh, analysis video that that uncovers um the movie on the okay. history of it. Gotcha. I sort of took that Hands Across America as a symbolic reference to sort of what happens, what the what people in the United States sort of wanted for that time period. They wanted unification during the 80s, especially coming out of the 70s and the 16, 60s, where they were dealing a lot. And Reagan was still president at the right, time. They had Reagan. They were dealing a lot with segregation, with trying to get past certain ideals. They were dealing with having to have people against the war. And not wanting to go overseas, and so people were getting drafted. Like the Middle East, and stuff. yeah, exactly. Well, the seventies and eighties. Oh, were you talking more post Vietnam? Yeah, exactly. Post Vietnam. It's like they're dealing with the aftermath of segregation from like the sixties and seventies, and right. Whatnot. Well, they were attempting really hard to move away from it, even though it sort <clears> of just stayed in like the zeitgeist of the world, and no one really talked about it. So it, it sort of became. Uh, instead of being blatant racism, it ended up being sort of underneath the surface, and that's yeah. kind of how it evolved into what we see now, which, which is why yeah. this film was made. Yeah, and exactly. Yeah, exactly. I mean, they're both both of these films are super are going to be discussing that sort of like hidden like racism aspect that you know right. is, is underneath the veil that's sort of done in like snide little remarks and things like that that's done in like not always right in your face but the people of color will of course see it because it's directed at them more so that reminds me of something which i think we'll discuss a little later in in our um once we go through different parts of the film there's something actually called microaggressions yeah so if you're not familiar with it it's essentially statements that don't seem very harmful up front but when you really dig into why someone would have said something like that it ends up being something that's really interesting it was first thought of by a harvard uh, professor yeah he originally came up with it during that time period like around the 80s mm-hmm. late 70s early 80s and essentially it would be a statement kind of like when somebody approaches someone who's black who changes their hair often because mm-hmm. they may change their hair for different any different reasons so they may go from braids to wearing their natural hair and so somebody may go up to them and say well what's your hair going to be like this time to mm-hmm. anyone think they might think that that's a harmless statement but really it's somebody who's assuming something of them because of the way that their hair looks as it stands now in most office settings, uh, dreads and other like natural hair is not considered professional. And so that's why somebody would ask something <laughs> like that. They would essentially ask that question because they're wanting to kind of put you into a box and to assume that your hair is not professional. And so it ends up going to something much more deeper. Yeah, yeah. Oh no, you're you're totally right on that. I think there was actually a law just passed recently where yep. you can't discriminate against against hairstyles uh, and whatnot. Was I think it that was in a thing. California? Yeah, California specifically. Yeah, yeah, I thought so. Um, so that's an interesting point. However, however, we'll get to that when we discuss because I think that's going to be more prevalent to get out. Yes. Uh, thing more so than us is, but they're both going to deal with it in like 
uh, one more so than the other. Right. Um, so let's bring ourselves back to back to where, where we were kind of discussing the beginning of right. Of, so of us hands get, across America. Yeah, hands we get the America. hands across America ad, and then we go to the family being in the carnival, essentially where they're at. They're in the carnival where it's the parents of the little girl who ends up being Adelaide. And so Adelaide is a little girl and she's with her parents. And this is the first time you get to see those characters. But she also gets lost while she's at the carnival. Or at least she wanders off and goes into this area. And you sort of get the beginnings of the narrative. But one thing I did want to point out was the guy who is standing at the edge of the boardwalk who has a Bible passage. Jeremiah eleven eleven. Jeremiah eleven eleven. And there's some really good criticism for what that could be. But I want to read what the Bible passage actually says so you guys kind of get an idea. The passage says, Therefore, thus saith the Lord, Behold, I will bring evil upon them, which they shall not be able to escape. And though they shall cry unto me, I will not hearken unto them. So essentially, he's foreshadowing what's going to happen at the end of the film, which is that all of the people who are living underground, the people that... Eddie referenced earlier, they sort of come up and pretty much kill their doppelgangers and take their lives take, back, take their lives essentially from them while they show a later scene in the film where they're copying basically what they're doing, but they're doing it underground. So you get sort of an idea that they are sharing some sort of copying or clones or something. Yeah. I think they're mimicking like, right. What they're doing in the carnival, but these are people who are just like, Ugh. excuse me. Benadryl just kicked in. I think <laughs> <laughs> I have to take Benadryl whenever I come into this apartment, <laughs> but fuck! now I forgot what I was going to say. When these people are emulating what the, uh, they're tethered, they're what there's the underground society and the more upper ground people who live up and they're copying like, We'll come back to this later. I will come. It, I, it seems like it, it analyzes a bit of a class struggle sort of idea. If it starts off with the idea of this was a program designed to help homeless people, right? Um, it seems sort of it. It reminds me of um, of an of another like a dystopian movie that I've mentioned before about like organ harvesting, where they like oh, clone people in order to harvest yes. their organs. It reminds me of that a lot the in island? that way, so that they like basically like create cl- clones of these people in order to have them be successful, so that the people right. can technically be successful in the world yeah perhaps to create the um the guise or the uh illusion of success for the lower class individuals right and it's no mistake that they were using this time period specifically for something like that for True. the 80s yes, as well as having them go to a carnival which is usually referred to as like an all-american kind of thing to do mm-hmm. to go to a carnival to really be with your family and have yeah. that nuclear family set up and michael jackson thriller yeah, for real. Did you mention Thriller as far like the shirt that she wanted? Yeah, no, definitely. I was like that. And then I remember there being like, uh, there's like a contention during that movie between um, who I only assume is is her father and her mother. Yeah. Where they have like an issue with the father getting her that that shirt. And then there's like a, a parallel view where like where she does not get the shirt, if I'm not mistaken. She does get the shirt. It's it's a it's still a shirt. It's just that it's a mirrored version of the shirt. It's okay. Yeah, it's like they're like it's a hand painted sort of almost looked like it was done by hand and like machine press, right? Okay, kind of shirt. Also, that thriller shirt goes over the Hands of America shirt, and so the thriller kind of 
gets put over the hands of America is really symbolic for what ends up happening to these characters, where the narrative is sort of hijacked by this other person. Mm -hmm. And then you end up getting the rest of the story kind of being unreliable for where you don't know who's who. At least you don't figure it out until the very end. But when you rewatch it, you start to see all the smaller clues when they put, especially with the shirt changing and putting that over. Um, when I think Red pretty much chains up Adelaide, or I guess they're switched already at that point. And so Spoiler Red is alert. actually Red is actually the younger version. So she ends up growing up a regular person, but with all the people who are underground. But anyway, she wanders over into this uh, house of mirrors, essentially. And that one specifically was called Vision Quest. Before it was like Merlin's House of Mirrors. Yeah, so it was interesting as they chose these two different names for it. The first one, Vision Quest, was a nice reference to how they ended up treating Native Americans in North America. Essentially, they ended up being like sort of a sideshow, and no one really cared what happened to them. And so they ended up using them for marketing purposes. And in this case, they named something a Vision Quest. Yeah, I was just going. I was just going to say that that it was definitely. There's a lot of. Um, I think when they show like the parallel, the parallel realities, you know, yeah, that, that's what it seems like to me, if I'm not mistaken. So there's parallel realities, and they switch certain things. A lot of like, uh, like uh, cover up symbolism. A lot yes. of like, a lot of like behind the veil. And in this shirt case, it's literally behind the cloth. Literally behind the veil, there is like yep. this. There is this hidden organization that's being shown to you through, or you're experiencing it through a different lens. Plus, as American culture, we tend to like sweep things under the rug, yep, and put to the side. Like this seemed fixed, but not really. Yep. Like, <laughs> well, it, it's interesting. Inside of the House of Mirrors, they have several shots of Adelaide looking for the exit, and she sees multiple places where the exit is supposed to be, but then cannot get out. She ends up running straight into a mirror at one point and just can't seem to escape, mm -hmm. even though the escape is supposed to be apparent and easy to get to. And so it was a nice reference to how people might be stuck in that situation where they know the tools, they know how they're supposed to get out, but they just can't because of the situation that they're in. And so it was a nice reference to both Native Americans as well as people, anyone who's black really in America and how they're trying to escape a certain situation, mm -hmm. but they can't. And she literally goes on a vision quest. Yep. And so yeah. it's like so, there's so many things yeah. that are brought into that one scene and you don't really get anything explained until much later. And so you have that and you assume that the little girl just wandered off and then she's found again. But there's something wrong, right? The She's off. The therapist or whoever is the one who is analyzing her says that she has post-traumatic stress from being lost. And the dad is not having any of it. He's like, what? No, she's she was gone for like 15 minutes. What is this? This can't be it. Who He was sort of Kids supposed to be. Kids always go missing a lot, though, during that time. Yeah, that's a good point. Yeah, and I actually almost got – my folks almost lost me at Universal Studios when oh, I was pretty shit. Yeah. So it was at a Woody Woodpecker climbing structure. My folks were freaking out, but I was just chilling at Woody Woodpecker. Just hanging out? Yeah, but I could be uh, tethered. Right, I know. Yeah, That'd sure. be ironic. Eddie is actually, yeah. there's actually a doppelganger of Eddie right. that's going to come murder just him. Just going around. <laughs> we are Americans. <laughs> <laughs> that was such a good line. Yeah. When they really are like, who are you? Like, why are you here? And she responds with that. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> glorious but it's also like we are americans is like us united states in a way yes. hands across america and americans are like we tend to build a, a society of working class people and just like pushing them down into lower life pretty much yeah like the working class is just, oh definitely yeah what was interesting too about her being in the hall of mirrors is when you're listening to what's being said 
as in the narration that she gets while she's walking through. It is a brief <clears throat> retelling, essentially, of colonization. If you pay super close attention to it, it's essentially saying, here's what's going to happen, here's what's happening. And they describe, essentially, the, the horrors of colonization. And then it gets cut off when she sees the other girl in there who's her doppelganger. But then it moves on, and you find out that the she's therapist... She's older. Yeah, she's older, and it skips right ahead to when they're going on to their trip. Um, before it goes there, though, it shows the main title sequence, and then you get to see the rabbits that are caged up. Did you guys think that sort of meant anything for later on in the film? We use, like, rabbits for experimentation, like, for cosmetics. Oh, That's a good point. Mm-hmm. I didn't and even think of that. Yeah, no, not like, even. Like, the testing of animals in labs, pretty much. And I, I felt like the tethered was this, like, human experiment that yeah. was just left underground and not really further explain well, red red kind of gets into that later in the film where she says they sort she of has a theory yeah for sure. she has a good theory for what had happened but to red is not red really in the, and this right is, this is the thing about us is like i'm i'm all for like plot twists i'm all not i even would we can always dog on m night Shyamalan's twists <laughs> on how like half-assed they are right of what a twist it is but this one kind of had me split in the middle of how I felt about Lupita Nyong'o's character yeah. in this movie a whole lot because it kind of I feel like contradicts that character in a way, but it kind of also like explains why that this is who she actually is mm-hmm. instead. But it wasn't like uh, Kevin Spacey was Kaiser Soze the entire time. <laughs> yeah, that's type fair. Situation, and he's re- reading off clues and a narrative to you while you're in the office interrogating him sort of situation this one was more of like little by little you can kind of see like vague hints of who she really is in the movie right like her like her pajamas turn all red at the end of the movie yep and the tethered are all wearing like jumpsuit reds oh you mean her clothes essentially getting more and more blood on it yeah 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 and you, usually nice white, yeah. white. Jesus. <laughs> well, yeah, that's a good. That's a good. I didn't even think I'm about missing, that. All yeah. the stuff that I'm missing. White is usually a symbol for purity. Yep. And, and it red gets heavily stained is for like death and murder. Yep. Yeah. Or corruption. So nice. That's one. There was. I really like that, and mm-hmm. we're gonna come back to that. I think once we get closer to when the family kind of encounters the rest of them. There was a few things I wanted to mention about the rabbits as well as just the last bits of her being in the House of Mirrors. She whistles uh, the Itsy Bitsy Spider, which is essentially about rain. Uh And so she sort of predicts the rain because it immediately starts raining when she gets out of that place. But also it's some nice foreshadowing for what's going to happen later where you sort of understand that she has a feeling that something bad is going to happen. And the rest of the movie, you spend sort of having this gut feeling of there's something not right with Adelaide, especially because of the small clues that they end up adding for it. Yeah. And so it ends up kind of changing your view of it if you go back and watch it again. Uh, would you say that because she's using um, Itsy Bitsy Little Spider to represent rain, and rain in film is often used as like a symbol for great change? Yep. Um, and during this part of the movie, it seems like they're going into a new act or like this character has escaped the situation that she's in. Um, I don't think she escaped it. 
I think it in, but it was definitely a sign for the change. Yeah, exactly. That yeah, there so was essentially a change that happened, but we didn't know what. Yeah, exactly. So, so she's doing that. And it represents the rain. Yeah. Um, it clues the audience in to say, okay, something has happened, but yep. it keeps the tension by not revealing exactly what's just happened. But everyone's expecting it. Yeah, and I doubt anyone was really looking up like the Bible passage very quickly. Yeah, so exactly. So you still have, so you have the Bible reference, you see some weird people, she gets stuck in the Hall of Mirrors, and then you don't really exactly know what had happened, besides just a few things that you've seen so far. And then you get the scene with the rabbits, where they're all caged. So this one was interesting, and I, I think I read into it really heavily. Essentially, all of the rabbits are caged. They're individually caged, but they can still see each other. Mm-hmm. And so what I took it literally as was anyone who sort of experienced that feeling of being stuck and so in this case, it was uh, the Native Americans, anyone who's black, anyone who's a person of color in the United States. We're all sort of stuck in our own situation. where We can see each other, but there's not much we can do really at this point to help a lot of people. And then it zooms out. So you get to see that it's not just one person. And as it slowly zooms out, you get to see that there's a whole wall filled and you get to see all of the people who are caged up together. And so there's this false sense of fellowship that you're starting to see as it pulls away. And then it goes straight into the movie. And so it's a nice reference to something that happens later where you get to see all the rabbits that are essentially freed. They're running around. They're no longer in the cages once the, the essentially the they're climax roaming. of the film. Yeah, they're mm-hmm. kind of roaming about, but they don't do anything. They're not going in a certain direction. They're just kind of roaming around. Well, mm-hmm. when you see like a rabbit in normal life anyways, they just like, they're right. doing their own thing. They're just like, hey, dude, I'm just, I'm eating here. I'm just like, I'm going to fuck this other bunny. Since we're, since we're, I mean, since we're going into this idea, this idea that there are these caged rabbits, uh, we're dealing with the 80s where we're like post segregation. So it could also be a symbolism for we have, you know, cut off the bars that hold this community from right. intermingling with themselves. And now that they're free and these since the rabbits aren't really going, they're not prospering, you know. And so since ever since the shackles have been taken off, since the cages have been broken, everyone's just sort of doesn't have any connection or anything to like, like a path to follow after that. Yeah. Like the sense of identity has been stripped, so an individual like like life is almost impossible for them. The the main thing I got out of it, which I'll explain a little later too, is that the point of most of the movie and really what it meant to me specifically, so I may not have read the same way to other people, True. is that the ultimate trap or the thing that ends up sort of tearing people apart, even though they have the hand across America thing, is that the ultimate trap is really the assimilation that you may end up experiencing as a person of color in the United States, which is that you want so hard to be a part of the American zeitgeist, which is to be that nuclear family, to really assimilate to the culture that's happening. And then when you do, you end up not being an individual anymore. You end up being a part of this larger thing that they're kind of bringing you into. Part of the system to oppress your own. Yep, essentially that. And so you end up kind of finding things that are not, so you, you get that split. And so Adelaide and Red sort of represent the two sides of how you're going to experience your life as a person of color. You're going to either be assimilated or you're going to be separate. And there's these two things can't seem to exist together, which is why they they are the same person. They share the same soul, but they're clones of each other. And you kind of have to decide which one is going to live because only one lives at the end of this film. Mm -hmm. And so that's kind of what I got out of it. And I'll explain more of it as we get later into the parts. Mm -hmm. Plus, it shows a distinction from the two families, from like Elizabeth Moss's family and Lupita Nyong'o's family, right? Because Elizabeth Moss's like family, she w- wanted to be a Hollywood starlet. And yeah, she mentions how her get- kids were born at like the wrong time yeah. for her to be a star, and is really like mad about her kids being born <laughs> and like 
not being able to be a star. Oh and she God. has to get Botox like yearly just to feel like she's mm-hmm. a year younger. And they're also like, if you notice, the houses are very different from each other. Like, Oh, the class disparity is shown so harshly with the houses that they own, especially with the boat, too. He gets to see the boat yeah. that he owns and then the rickety boat that he ends up owning later. Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah, they yeah. add some stuff in there. Like Gabe's boat where he has to like ch- like compete with um, um, the guy who plays Tim and er- – well, Tim, the guy from Tim and Eric's show. Oh, yeah. I can't remember his name, honestly. His real ni- name is Tim, but – uh, he has to compete with his best friend <laughs> and stuff. And both yeah. the family's life, like Lupita's family, they live in like a rustic classic style house. Yeah. Like from the 60s, 70s. Right. Nothing's era. really updated. Yeah. It's very rustic. It's very like from like the old world. And there's more of like Elizabeth Moss family is more contemporary and modern. Yeah. Like they have like a pseudo like Amazon like alexa right it's uh olivia i think is what they ended up calling it in the film just so they don't get sued right (laughs) yeah it's just how they use microsoft phones instead of other things because they probably got permission to use it and they couldn't use iphones or any of the other big name brands who wouldn't let them kind of also going back to the rabbits as well um Mm -hmm. everyone was trying to make a theory on what was the rabbits all about yeah and jordan peele's response was well it's an easter movie (laughs) because this movie came around i think springtime right yeah it was definitely yeah and, spring. and then rabbits is usually associated with springtime and yeah and the easter bunny pretty much so that was his response to i love that sort of offhanded remarks that where he's just you should really read into it but he didn't want to give a direct answer yeah, to that it feels to me like he's making a joke yeah he's a making joke a really answer. good joke yeah there's something that. more like you don't just there's a reason why it's there. <laughs> he's trying to have – he has a message. He has yeah. something he's going to but say about Jordan it. Jordan Peele also sure. comes from the world of comedy and comedy and horror. Yes. Well, I can't believe he made such a good transition into creating such a new genre of horror in these two movies. But it also seemed like comedians or just comics in general have a dark sense yeah. of humor. Well, they usually make really good social commentary on things. Yeah. And comedy and horror are almost like similar to each other. It's just how you get the – the reaction out of that person like laughter or shock or fear and something so some interesting things happen on the ride there so they have a few lines that they drop it's a lot of foreshadowing for what's going to happen later in the film and so the first thing i noticed was the girl her name is umbre oh no i'm sorry it's uh zora zora ends up saying a line where she mentions the fluoride in the water and how that essentially they are trying to mind control everyone and she asks them, do you not care about the apocalypse? Which is essentially what happens later in the it's film. It's going to clutter your pineal gland. <laughs> <laughs> and then there's the bit where the song plays. They play uh, I Got Five on it. I got yeah. five on it. And Adelaide tells her son Jason to get on beat and start snapping. But she's completely off beat when she is doing the snapping during that moment. And so it's really the first clue besides maybe the House of Mirrors, if you hadn't figured it out, that mm. she's not quite right. There's something off about her. And it wouldn't make sense that she was offbeat because she was a ballet dancer. She mm. should very much know about music theory and being able to match a beat of even a song cue. like that. Yeah, to be on cue for those things that she isn't. And so she ends up showing her son the, the two snaps that kind of fit into what she thought was on beat or on cue, which actually end up lining up with later version of that song, which is purely made for like a ballet dance. Mm-hmm. And so that was interesting that they added in some small foreshadowing like that yeah. and then sort of explored it later in the film. <laughs> it's um, it's uh, is uh, the it's the little girl, right? The little it's the 
the non-underground little girl that's ballet dancer, yeah? No, uh, Adelaide was a dancer when she was younger. Ah. Zora is a uh, track and field person. Gotcha. So that's why she ends up running at one point in the film. Well, so you've got the like, um, art, art is for the lower classes and then athletics is for the upper classes sort of idea. Yes, kinda. and it's no mistake <laughs> that it was ballet, which is heavily, heavily used for things that are going to explain a class disparity because mm-hmm. most people who join ballet are usually rich white families. <laughs> so it's like for her to be a part of it, especially as a younger girl and then being really good at it and then not being a part of it, it could mean so many things that she was possibly blocked from being better at it because they were discriminating against her at some point, probably part but of the yeah. assimilation thing you were discussing. Yeah. As well, the assimilation she went point. into trying to be a part of that society and then sort of had to break away shunned. from it. Yeah. Or she was shunned from mm-hmm. it. The guy that she sees with, who was holding the sign with the Bible passage, he shows up again. He's the guy being put into the ambulance and he is holding the sign again. But the thing is, is that this is the first time that she is actually seeing him because she is not, she is not the original girl. So it's Red who's seeing... She doesn't recognize Or at him. least, I know her name is Adelaide, but she was originally the person who lived underground. This is the first time she's seen that person. So it was no mistake that both versions of her see this guy and get to see that Bible passage. Why do you think the name for the House of Mirrors changed to Merlin's, Merlin's Forest, I think it was? Because that didn't seem apparent until later on in the film when the little boy looks and sees the title of it. Do you think it was like a like a weak attempt to change something? I I feel like well Merlin Merlin like the story of Merlin is like an Anglo-Saxon story. Yeah. That's like really Europe your European centric kind of kind of idea. So you're probably doing the Eurocentric flip on it whereas Vision Quest is Native oh, American okay. based and then Merlin is more of a like European based sort yeah. of thing which is very indicative of you know uh, America's past and you know where those where the majority of settlers came from who brought all of those ideas yep. here. So there's that. That's pretty much what I get from it. That's pretty much what I thought when you said it. I was like, oh yeah, that's pretty much just like flipping, yep. just flipping white for black basically, or white for a person of color. I took that too. Honestly, it ended up being something that was interesting because what ends up happening with certain retellings of stories is instead of focusing in on someone's race, they'll start to focus in on things that sort of everyone can associate with. In this case, it's fantasy. Merlin is definitely a story, a folklore story that sort of made its way into popular culture, especially in regards to like games, like Dungeons and Dragons and things like that, where you get to be a wizard, you get to be this person, but no one really knows much about Merlin himself and what he sort of came from and sort of the things that he had to experience. They just think that he's a cool character that you could probably be in something. So it fits really nicely into your description where they just switched one for the other mm-hmm. and ended up doing that. But what's interesting too is they did a few things at that beach scene where you got to see sort of the difference between the families, but they did a little piece of foreshadowing, or at least I thought it was when the Frisbee lands right next to Adelaide, it lands perfectly on the blue circle. And so this is a nice, foreshadowing for the switch the red is literally red the Mm -hmm. frisbee's red with the golden star so it's the red for her suit and the gold for the scissors she's carrying and then she ends up switching places with the other girl which is the blue because it lands perfectly on there and then the girl the other mom i forget her name katie i think is her name she ends up referencing something like that she's like yeah she's like that's weird that that happened and then they continue on with whatever conversation (laughs) that they were having and so that was that was something that was interesting. Kind of, kind of a self-aware moment in the movie sort of deal. Yeah, bit. exactly. It ended up being some heavy foreshadowing. And then Adelaide freaks out when she can't find Jason. 
And so that's sort of, uh, it makes sense that she would freak out once you know that she is switched because she knows what she did when she was younger. She switched places mm-hmm. with the other girl. Mm-hmm. And so she could be worried that the little boy will get switched out in the same exact location that she switched with somebody. And so it ends up making more sense. When you watch it the first time, she just seems crazy. And you're like wondering why she is so freaking out and why she's overreacting essentially to just her son going to the bathroom. Well, but he does also maternal instinct. Where right. We assume like it's dials something like to that. 11 where any of these situations could happen to your kid pretty much. Right. So then that's why there was like sort of like a, at the end of the movie, it was almost like aliens where Sigourney Weaver takes on the sig- surrogate. Right. Like daughter. Yeah. And oh man, that's such a good movie about motherhood. Yeah, pretty much. And the us is like, man, this drug is really fucking me up. <laughs> it's been a long day. I'm sorry, but You're good. Cool, cool. Uh, but I'm gonna look up. What's her name? Which Adelaide? One? Yeah. She she goes back to her th- to get her son Jason underground, who was kidnapped by Red. And it's the you're going into the dungeon. You're going into the depths of hell to get to get back here. Yeah, I made a note about that where essentially her going underground, going down the escalator with a weapon. She's essentially descending into hell. Yeah, it's such a good like literary reference up escalator. Nope. It only goes down. Yeah. So that was interesting. And it also made me wonder how the hell did Red get out of there? (laughs) <laughs> i know it's a plot hole just but like walked up the stairs right walked it, upwards out of hell i don't know if it was working when she was there but it was something i pointed out where i was like how the hell did she get out if it was only going down i mean you can outrun it but it's still like i was being nitpicky yeah <laughs> well i was like Where's i don't this, know she has to use the ladder or something right something else <laughs> she paid sharon like two a soul or two pieces of right. gold to get across so after that, they go back to the place that they are. I guess it's newly owned, right? He had just purchased it, or was no, it something they're, they're old, renting? Their old like summer spring lake house. Gotcha. That they're getting away for like summer or spring yeah. break, I believe. Yeah. So it gets back, and then we sort of get a little different perspective on all of them. You get like a brief moment to figure out who they are, what they're doing, kind of their interactions with each other. But what I really wanted to ask you guys is what did you make of the little boy wearing a mask and only putting it on whenever he was facing something? He puts the mask on just because he knows something's going on. Right. And because there's also the his doppelganger wears like a, a face mask for the right. burn scars that yeah. he has. So it just mirrors that both of them are wearing masks to protect themselves from like past like dangers that they've been in before right so he's protecting himself because he's in a high stakes situation of these people that look like them and could do anything to them at any time right sometimes i think that children feel more comfortable when they have a mask on or something along those lines when they're in uncomfortable situations yeah so i feel like since he knows there's something up with his mom Right. And what he gets an idea. Yeah, he gets an idea of it, but he's got an inkling. So I feel like the mask can be sort of like a a way of him, like keeping his identity sort of his own. Yeah. Sort of idea so that he's like, I can observe my mother and she won't exactly know. And I can know the true one is perhaps or a way to protect himself. There's also a sense of anonymity. Yeah. Yeah, Mm -hmm. Definitely for something like that. I also took it as a lot of 
children are usually telling adults sort of unfiltered things because they don't quite have all of the social norms pressed in on them just yet. Mm -hmm. And so they'll usually often give you a really straight truth whenever you speak to small children or anyone yep. who's around that age. They because, don't have nuance of, like, yep. they don't have bravado with their words. Yeah, exactly. So, they so they'll just, usually tell you up front something that's You are that's fat. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. You essentially get, like, straight insult, but Blunt they don't take it the as point. that. They're just like, I'm being honest with you at this moment. And so that could be something like that where he's wanting to be able to say what he really thinks or he wants to observe what's going on, and so he feels protected, like you said. Mm -hmm. A lot of kids have blankets. A lot of kids wear masks. A lot of kids wear certain outfit pieces that sort of make them feel comfortable. And so that was definitely used for him in this movie, specifically for him encountering his mom. Because he only really seems to put it on whenever he's around his mom. Mm -hmm. I don't think he, yeah. Uh, go ahead. Yeah, even with like people would say with like autism, mm -hmm. they'll be very blunt and straightforward, like kind of how yeah. I am in a way. Okay. I just like don't like <laughs> beat around the bush, just get to the point. Right. Pretty much. So even that's where it's gotten me into like trouble with some people. Who oh, don't, yeah. okay. Just because they don't like the direct approach of being able to say something like that. Yeah, they pretty want much. Their euphemisms. Well, they want you yeah, to people the blow on them. Right, and people will usually get offended usually for something like that. But I mean, it's just it's hard I think to determine something like that. <laughs> I, I, I remember a time as a child when I called a lady fat. Oh, like she <laughs> how did she respond to that? Fat. How did she respond? I ruined everything for her. I was oh, a little no. child. I was a little kid. We were at Sioux Plantation. She was a family <laughs> friend working there. We were there probably on her dime, maybe, or like on her like you know a discount or whatever. And I just was like getting food, and I just walked over. And was like, "You're fat." Ooh, <laughs> yikes! Like, I remember it because. She started crying. Oh no! <laughs> like, oh yeah, shit! I'm the worst. I was the worst child. I didn't know a child makes to, a grown woman cry. You can't cry. just say awful things at pe to people like that. And my parents were like, Mitchell, you're not "Why did you say, say that, that to her? She was crying. What are you doing?" And that's my story of being a rude child. Yeah. Anyway, so back to us. <laughs> that's hilarious. So, so at this point, the power goes out. Right when yep. he, right when Gabe is having a chat with Adelaide, who is telling him that she does not feel comfortable. She wants to leave. But it's really because she knows that this area. He wants to have a bit of fun, too. And he's trying to, like, stretch out on the bed for yeah. his <laughs> he's, massive. He's expecting them to have sex is really what's going on. But, like, <laughs> it doesn't work out that his way. His massive body on this, like, twin-like bed. He's a huge dude. Like, that yeah. actor is humongous. And this is the guy who played um, M'Baku. Oh. In, in, in Black Panther. I was like, I've woo, seen this woo. guy somewhere. Like, what was he? What was he? In? Yep. No, no, I, it was I love that he's so counter opposite of that yes. character that he was in Black Panther. Like, he tries to be like this tough guy yep. in certain moments, like when <laughs> the doppelgangers are literally on the his. next scene where they yeah. he goes to encounter the family who has suddenly like, showed up and give me of the bat. I was like, yep. what bat? The bat that I got. And he just like, now I told you all before to get off my property. He's now, trying to act real tough in the moment. I called the police and they're on their way. Now, if you want to get crazy, we can get crazy. <laughs> and it's, it's like the emptiest of threats. Yeah, really exactly. You're just yeah. like, you're not going to do anything. No. I love that he was also wearing um, a uh, Howard the black Sweatshirt. college essentially yeah a historically black college so it was like a nice reference to howard itself but like the more, fact that he wears it all the time more more classism yeah representation a nice right little there. like drop in for something like yep. that um what really got me for this was uh the first time i think i was really blown away by one of the shots 
that they had done in that moment. So when Abraham, so Gabe's doppelganger, just breaks through the front door, no problem, steals the bat away from him, and then they find the key <laughs> under the rock. Right, I love that. I love yeah. that line so much. Where he, where I believe it's Zora who is like the extra key. He's like, "What extra key?" And she's like, "The extra key underneath the rock." And he runs up to the door saying, "What kind of white people shit?" <laughs> <laughs> because they have an extra key under the rock. Yeah. Like nobody else does that. People of color don't have extra keys. Hidden anywhere. <laughs> we lock our front doors. <laughs> but you go the, to any white neighborhood and their front door is always unlocked and it scares the shit out of me. I'm so serious. It's like living in I, Canada where every door apparently is just unlocked. I, I do not leave. I live in a pretty nice little suburban neighborhood that has like <laughs> nothing going on in it. And I never don't lock my door. Good. Lock, Good. You lock your fucking door because then otherwise you have like weird meth people just walking into your house. Then and you have the strangers. Nice party. <laughs> Well, also there's a, that <laughs> fault, maybe a false sense of security, or there's some places right. in the world where they don't have high as a crime rate at, at certain places. <laughs> but like, if you watch like Halloween movie, like a Halloween, <laughs> like Halloween, yeah, where it's easy for like Michael Myers to walk into the house. Dude, he walks into so many houses just casually. Yeah, like it's just like people keep their uh, doors and windows open. Yeah, like that was it's so annoying. Yeah. yeah. Well, so so at that point, you essentially get into the main climax of the film, which is the encounter with the family. And so she tells Adelaide sits them all down and starts telling a story. And this is super important because she essentially tells the story of what happened to her when she was younger. And so the story of, I believe she says, the shadow, the girl in the shadow. She says the girl in the shadow is the two people she's referencing. And so in this case, she is the shadow. Adel um, yeah, no, I'm sorry. Red is the shadow. Adelaide is the girl. And she essentially talks about how her, their lives were switched. But it's still not entirely clear that they were switched when they were younger. So you're like, what the fuck is the story that she ends up telling? But she also has a weird voice. And she's the only one who can speak. Well, it's been a while for her to actually speak, I feel like. Mm -hmm. Like, it takes her... It's Her throat is probably dr really dry. I was trying to figure out what exactly the the i don't know what to call it it sounded to me that she had something wrong with like her vocal cords and yeah, where, I, I didn't know what it was use it that often right like she hadn't talked in so long that she wasn't really able to get it all out clearly but she was able to tell the story and it, it means a whole lot but it only means a lot to you until you get later in the film but anyway they immediately essentially it turned into like a hunting game where she tells all of them to sort of separate and then they go after their doppelgangers well, it was also like um, Funny Games, which was what Jordan Peele was inspired by for this movie, where you have these strangers come into your home and they challenge you to like survive the night and see how you turn out the next day. So <clears throat> now my voice is like going down. <laughs> Once upon a time. That's pretty close, actually, yeah. for what she sounds like. That was good. I need to, like, just sample that little bit and put it out. The girl in the shadow. <laughs> they ate the rabbit raw. They did all... Oh, that's a good point, actually. They ended up eating the rabbits. Oh. Yeah. Yeah, the, the people who lived underground, they were essentially eating each other. That so was their only cannibalism. source of food, pretty much. Yeah. And I, just like listening to rabbits squeal and squeak is very hard to listen because it's right. just like it's unearthly sound because you don't expect a rabbit to make that kind of noise. Yeah. Um, 
what was interesting to me about the scene where she essentially has them all sort of separate and it turns into this really elaborate game of hunting them down, she seems to really give them a lot of leeway for running away. She doesn't kill any of them immediately. Well, she only wants Adelaide all cuffed up. Right. She's in the handcuffs because she... The spoiler... Have we gone so past far past of talking what that spoiler was now? or No, I mean, you can do whatever. We spoil yeah. everything. <laughs> so Red is the original Adelaide. She's not the doppelganger underground. Yes. Adelaide. And the Adelaide that we are watching through the movie, who is supposed to be the protagonist Adelaide. Is, is actually the, the underground person. Yeah. The, so this is her like coming, wanting to come back into her world. Yep. And since these she two wanted people, revenge for her life being taken, basically. Yeah. And she lost it. Yeah. Anyways. And she ends up, she really ends up losing at the end of the film because she gets killed. And it's Adelaide, sort of tragic. Who, yeah. that, that's what also kind of like I kind of prefer the old school method where the antagonist or the protagonist is not the monster at the end of the movie. Sometimes it's. Yes. They, they oh, yeah, definitely. Yeah. But there are some movies that do that where it turns out the protagonist turned out to be the antagonist became the monster or the boogeyman themselves yeah it always fucks with people because you end up cheering essentially for the bad guy and then you start feeling weird about what's going on at the end of it by the end you're just like you're just like oh wait i've been rooting for her the The wrong person right i really want to point out the scene that happens after that so essentially when they go over to the neighbor's house and you get to see what happens with them and then their doppelgangers who end up breaking in, kill them immediately, and then try to kill the main family that we've been watching. But one of the most hilarious scenes is when the mom is dying and she's crawling towards him and realizes that she can speak to Olivia and says to call the police and it plays fuck, fuck the police, the police. Ah. instead. <laughs> and that song continues as the family goes through the house and it- essentially takes care of their own stuff. A nice reference to how they are always trying to call the cops to help what's going on, and they don't do anything, instead handle it themselves. So it was a nice reference to something like that, and also a hilarious moment to see her try to call the cops, Mm -hmm. and instead plays a song. But they also start that scene with uh, good vibrations, which they get killed to, (laughs) which is so bad. Like It's so ironic that something like that happens. Well, the thing is, Beach Boys is (laughs) like a coastal band, and from California. Yeah. Oh, totally. And NWA is Central Los Angeles yep. band. East LA. Group. So it's like the two different styles of Los Angeles where you get more of the good vibrations. More class disparity. Yeah. And the fuck the police and the yep. ghetto and yep. hardship. and Especially playing a song like that in a nice ass house like that. It's yeah. not a mistake on their part. Yeah. They definitely did it on purpose. One of the daughters also wears a black flag. <laughs> yeah. That's top. so weird. And their the symbol of black flag is like one 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 one. Yep. The palindrome. They keep referencing that. Yeah. Excuse me. Um. What? So what was interesting to me is something that we uh, we mentioned earlier when we were speaking that she essentially when she goes to confront Red, and at this point everything is just all hell is broken loose. They are out. They're trying to figure out what's going on. But Adelaide decides that she wants to essentially descend into hell and face Red. Because she can't just let her live. She knows that because of the switch she made when she was younger, that she sort of has to face this problem. And to me, this read as there's going to be a certain point where people kind of have to face either their fears or something they've done before. 
and you don't exactly know what the outcome is going to be. And we don't know what the hell is going to happen when she goes down there. Plus, when Red she does, kidnaps Jason. Yeah, exactly. Because so, the monster, well, the supposed monster takes the um, the innocent one. Right. She takes Jason as sort of a captive. I don't think she was ever really going to do anything to him, but more of a lure, sort of a trap to bring her down there. There's a reason why. And it also gave more of a pure reason for why she ended up going down there, which is to save him. But if he hadn't done that, then it could have just been a selfish act in her in the way. But they did it on purpose so that you would think, yeah, the reason she's going down there is to save her son. But then it becomes something different when you realize that they've switched. And they show that. They wait till the very, very end of the film to tell you that they've switched and to see Jason realize it as he's sitting next to her as he puts on the mask. And that's sort of how the film ends. Mm-hmm. You just get a, like, a shot coming out and you get to see all of the chaos unfolding. And so that was really good the way they handled that. But also... When she's fighting Red, when Adelaide and Red are fighting in there, they get cuts to her ballet when she was younger. And so it's so, supposed to be a very balletic, very... Yeah, and so most, like, whenever you're watching ballet, they're almost always going to tell you a story. Mm-hmm. There's some sort of thing that they're trying to tell you, and it's also really technical. And so you got to see the technical, really, really, like, tight dancing of ballet right next to the chaos of them fighting. And so this is the two things that I was talking about earlier where she is essentially figuring out, is she going to go against the norm or is she going to assimilate Mm -hmm. into what's going on there? And in this case, the way I took it was that she ultimately assimilated, Mm -hmm. that she did not end up being her own person and she killed that side of herself and then left hell in that form and then everyone else didn't notice except for her son. Also, if you kind of notice... Who's also purely innocent. If you notice with... In us, if you notice how the doppelgangers move... Yeah. Like, like red moves like a dancer. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Like you can see her take steps like a b- ballet dancer. It's like much. a quick walk. Yeah. And others have like a different way of walking for each other. Like, I, I also really liked the alternate ballet version of I Got Five on it, which I would have never thought they would do something like that. <laughs> it's so weird. It's such out, it's so out of place. For something like that, but it song. fit, but it fit really well for that scene, and then to be able to dramatize something like that. Essentially, what they did is they turned a song, which is usually associated with people who are of like a lower class, and turned it into a ballet song. Mm-hmm. And so there was that sort of rising of a class into something different. And so it was done through music, which is something really interesting. And I thought that was something that should be pointed out for a film yeah. like that. Plus, they are also on um, the the group who does that song are also from California, like Northern California era. Right. What did you guys make of Adelaide's final smile at the end of the film? Do you think she's pleased with the way that things turned out and that she sort of got away with it? When she's, they're driving away or when? when they're driving away and she looks over at Jason and she smiles. And then that's when Jason puts on his mask and you sort of know that he knows that she <laughs> she's not the same and that there's something wrong. But that's how the film ends. It's bleak. You don't end up really getting like a huge finality for that. Yeah, uh, I feel like if uh, like Adelaide's, it's just sort of like a bringing back the um the uh, the graduate ending because that's very much like that's right. a really big like kind of like where there's like the movies end we're at the conclusion you know everyone's supposed to be safe but things aren't quite as uh, concrete and smooth as they seem. So in this instance, you have uh, Jason's obviously very worried, and he's not really okay, and I'm sure Adelaide is right. fine with it. Yeah, she's she would, totally yeah, cool she's with totally, it. Yeah, she's totally cool with, with the assimilation and being part of it. And it's, uh, once again, showing that disparity and that dichotomy between those who are okay with assimilation and those who want to be their own people. Yep. 
hence the mask being a symbol of individuality for Jason in particular. He's yeah. like, I need to keep it. Mom's not the same. Yeah. I need to keep myself. Yeah. Because if I don't. <laughs> yeah. yeah, exactly. Yeah. That's a that's a really nice segue into moving into the other film that we wanted to talk about. Mm-hmm. Do you have last thoughts, Eddie? Do you have last thoughts on that? Yeah. Um, All right. The, there's always the reflection of mirrors as well. Yeah. In this movie, like everyone's looking into a mirror. Everyone sees a reflection of themselves. Yes. There's a lot of shots yeah. like that. And there's also where there's smiles as well. Like there's like these vacant kind of smiles. Yep. Pretty much. It's like that fake smile you did. put on for people. Yeah. Which is there. The doppelgangers are supposed to be kind of like people who are not put part of being polite society right that they are lower class people that they do not have oh that's a good read of sense that. of like they will barge into your home they will not yes. like knock on the door oh my god yeah pretty much it's just and you like the the normal people will just like know how to interact with people well here's where my thoughts are going to get jumbled but damn Okay, let's go to get out then. Yeah, uh, but but I know <laughs> what you're I know what you're getting at. Essentially, it was like people have expectations for how you're supposed to act in these situations, yeah. and they did a lot of breaking of that in the film where they the doppelgangers were acting different, and then you also had the shattering of most of these reflections, and you have like the window break, a lot of other things that are sort of getting trashed, and the nice home that they sort of invade gets trashed as well. And so you get all these things broken and then no one really knows what to do at that point. The apocalypse is essentially happening and the newscaster says it's too early. It's too early to determine what's happening. And so really that's the, like, that's such a nice reference to what the news does now, which is like sort of panic you, but they never tell you exactly what's happening. And you see at the end of the movie that they're all holding hands across America as like helicopters or everything is like breaking down. It's like some fucked up performance art shit. <laughs> <laughs> I love that line too. They have so many good lines. Gabe's my favorite character out of this whole movie. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I'm trying to think. Gabe was Gabe was the funniest character to me, but I think I think Red ended up sort of being my favorite, just because you sort of understand the story that unfolds at the very end, and and it changes your whole perspective on mm-hmm. the film. Red is the victim of the story, pretty much. Right, and it was also a different style than Get Out. You get your plot twist at the end, and you don't get a whole lot explained, whereas Get Out, you get a really strong feeling for what's happening, and then right in the middle of the film, you find out. I don't think that I would really, I really have a favorite character for this movie because I feel like the movie doesn't center on a single character and it's more so about the system at large and how it affects these people and not so much about them as individuals. Their past is brought up, yes, but it's not so much about like their... It's about their individual experiences a little bit, but I think it mostly analyzes like like through imagery and symbolism. It, it analyzes a class struggle, yes. division of the two classes, and then also historically how they've been divided and yeah. how that ex- affects them trying to move forward into the future. Yep. That's a good... I, I like that. That's Yeet. a good final thought for that one. <laughs> yeah, hell yeah. <laughs> I, I wonder if Blumhouse will make a fran- or they'll try to franchise the, us. Uh, I hope not, though. I don't think so. Or get out because I like, don't think that's something too Jordan arty. Peele there's would not want. enough to yeah. not enough to sequelize it or to run right. it to the ground. No, it seems it's an art film all by itself, and it stands that way by itself. Very yeah. Much. It yeah. should be also yeah. noted that both films got really, really high claims of like this is really good. Mm-hmm. It got high scores on everything all across the board, and it was surprising for some people that they're like because a lot of audience members did not like it, but a lot of critics loved it. 
I liked it a lot. So I'm, yeah, but I'm not can't really speak. good social commentary. Yeah, well, both of them really. So so Get Out is essentially what I took it as is is Get Out is said a lot in the film. Essentially, it ends up being like a warning mm-hmm. yeah. for people, essentially telling them to get out of a certain situation. And in this case, it was what might happen under certain circumstances. If people really had their way, and it was mm-hmm. something that was referencing slavery, it was referencing the sort of colonization of what happened in the United States. The um, it's another one of Get Out's another one of because it starts off with the 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 uh, guy and his girlfriend. Yep. Black guy, girlfriend. I forget both of their names. <laughs> oh, do you have them? Uh, well, Chris is the guy, but I forget the Chris, girl's name. Okay, yeah, yeah. Mostly because so, I hated her by the end of the film. Yeah, exactly, yeah. At first, <laughs> okay. at first, it seems fine. Everything right. seems fine. Like they're just gonna well, go you get hang the out with awkwardness the of an interracial relationship. Yes, I'm sorry. Absolutely. What was your name? Rose. 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 There you go. So Ironic. Chris and Rose. Chris and Rose are on their way over to go hang out with. Everything seems fine. I remember being very edged, like on yes. edge a little bit. She, I'm like, off. she's too nice. Yeah. He's almost like yeah. too nice. Like this is a little bit, you know, but it, but it, it's a, it's enough that you are given the illusion of a perfect relationship. Yes. <laughs> so the place I want to start with is the very first scene where the guy gets kidnapped, who we later see in the film. His name is Andre. Mm-hmm. And so he ends up being sort of the first person that gets Changed, abducted, abducted gets his brain swapped, and gets another person inside of him. What they were doing was kidnapping black people and changing out old people. In this case, the grandparents ended up switching places with them. But it's interesting because that scene has a creepy version of the song Run, Rabbit, Run. Right at the beginning, and you hear the song play as he's kidnapping him. And so they start it with that song, and then they also start with the main title sequence, which was made specifically for the film. So... Just a little history and sort of digging into what it is, essentially. And I think it's important for you guys to know, like, sort of what it is. Because the movie ends up being a warning message to people of color for anything mm-hmm. that's going to happen in society. It's Swahili. And so the actual thing, what it means is interesting. So roughly, it's kind of like listen to your ancestors. But let me find the the actual thing that it says. And so the lyrics that are translated whenever they're saying... It's in Swahili, so you can't tell. There's no subtitles either. So if you don't know Swahili or if you don't analyze it later, you'll never know what it says. It says, brother, listen to the ancestors. Run. You need to run far. Brother, listen to the ancestors. Run. Run. To save yourself, listen to the ancestors. That is literally the intro, the main title sequence to that film. And so they kind of give you that idea. And people who are watching it who don't know Swahili, they won't know anything about it. But if you do know it, it'll mean a lot to a specific group mm-hmm. of people. So he was very directly saying something to a group of people because most people who are Swahili are going to end up being people who are black. And so yeah. that's why he ended up starting the film like that. But anyway, it moves on to the interracial relationship between Rose and Chris, and you get this awkwardness of him meeting her parents, which I have to say is weird because they've only been dating for four months, but whatever. All of the really funny um, – it, it, it play, the movie – Get Out plays a lot with the idea of these progressive liberals not being as progressive, <laughs> nor liberal as they actually claim to be yep. when it comes to uh, like societal interaction or uh, you know dealing with um, the other races. And I can totally – I have definitely have seen that in person – with yeah. like with other people, people who claim to be like people who claim to be this like super like, you know, humanitarian individual, but straight up have like a bunch of like, you know, kind of pretty racist nationalistic opinions and whatnot yep. about things and they end up being not nearly as progressive or liberal as you expect. And her parents, uh girl's name. 
Rose. Rose. Rose's parents are definitely those people. Full name yeah. is Rose Armitage. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Or Armitage, Armitage, whatever. And, however you say it. and it, it's funny because, I mean, it deals kind of like with assimilation also. Oh, definitely. There's a lot of the uh, the uh, the quote quote unquote the help quote unquote around the house, yeah. you know, with them and whatnot is very much like a lot of uh, uh, basically all people of color, and they're all very they're they're all black people. All of yeah. them are black people. Um, and so, um, Dean is like, oh, it's cliche it's, to it's have the, the house help. It, it, and it's and but it's the assimilation aspect too of it, where they're where they're basically made to be like. It's it's strange. It's like it's like they want them to be part of their little like home group and then be a right. specific way. So they just use like we're just gonna use the brains of our old dead people to like keep you right here basically. So we'll you know it's kind of like a I hate to turn this into a liberal conservative thing, but like taking old conservative ideas and then yeah. putting them into a modern generation. Oh yeah, that's idea. exactly then, what they do. Yeah, exactly. That. So that's that's my take on that aspect. Well, I mean, of the it. first time you see Georgina. The the person who is essentially the grandmother okay. who gets put into her body, mm-hmm. she is literally waiting in the kitchen. Mm-hmm. She's not doing anything else. She's waiting for them to walk into the room, and then that's the first time Chris sees her, and he's like, "Oh shit!" Like they have a black maid. Like this is really fucking weird. Mm-hmm. And so you feel weird watching it too because she's dressed a certain way. She's only waiting there in the kitchen. She's already been like cleaning everything, and she ends up being sort of a waitress at, for the whole film. She ends up being the help. And is really like you get the idea, which is really ironic considering that you find out later that it's it's her grandma. But it's still like they, even though they had placed them into these bodies, they still put them underneath these these ideals that they had to be the servants of the family. And so, well, it was a good way to sort of give you this false sense of hope, and also that you were being brought into a world that you didn't belong to, or at least as close as you could get without sort of being a part of exactly of that family. And so it was interesting that they ended up doing that to their older relatives. And instead of just giving them a new body and then they live somewhere else, they ended up staying there and living with them and helping them in this. So it's interesting that they decided to do that to them. But it's the fetishization of that we look at people through a certain lens. Well, in this case, it was like essentially fetishizing the black body mm-hmm. and how they ended up treating black bodies. And that's like how they end up doing black that. is in fashion. Yeah. The freaking yeah. reference from that dude. Yeah. It's is crazy. It, is his sexual performance better in bed than. Yep. Oh yeah. All yeah. of those all quotes. Of those, yeah. All of those. Yeah. I wrote every single one of those down. Cause I was like, yo, this is fucked up. Like, yeah. It's touching yeah. his arm. Like Chris's arm. Dude, she, Yeah. That lady was creepy. <laughs> I mean, this goes back to the thing. Like you hear, you hear black people talk about all the time. People just going up and touching their hair whenever yes, they want. That's exactly like what that. It is. You hear, you hear, I mean, these don't, these don't get brought up for no reason. No. You know what I mean? It doesn't, if it didn't happen, it wouldn't really be brought up ever. Well, you know? <laughs> so, so so before we get into that scene, yeah. I want to talk about the scene when they first arrive. When okay. so when the cop pulls well, them just over, before, so there's that the scene. So there's the deer. The deer that jumps across the car gets hit and dies in the forest right next to them. And so, I mean, that part scares the fuck out of me every single time. I've seen it mm-hmm. numerous times, and it still gets me yeah. every single time because I don't know the exact moment it's going to happen. Mm-hmm. And so I was I was writing notes, and it still scared the shit out of me while I was writing <laughs> notes. But you have that moment between the cop and between Rose and between Chris, where Chris is completely unrelated, and he asks him for his ID. Chris is like, yeah, it's no big deal. Like, he's experienced something like that before. But Rose is really vigilant about protecting him. And well, so she gives this false sense that she's a really good ally for what's going on in that moment. And it's interesting because it's sort of done to, like, make you trust her more. Yep. Also, um, if Chris gave his idea to the officer, he could put that on record. And if he was in a missing persons report. Yes. It's good for the narrative. She yeah. wanted to block that. Yeah. So she because um, uh, Lakeith Stanfield is missing 
until they find him again yep. at the party. Essentially, the the guy, the the other black guy, the only other black guy at that family event, who mm-hmm. is who has now been changed into this lady's Darius. husband. <laughs> yeah, essentially, a white guy gets put into his his body, and you get like a brief moment of him, which we'll talk about in a second. And then, so so then they get to the house, and then the dad talks about how he hates deer. He really talks about how much he hates deer, and he feels like they're destroying the ecosystem. They're like rats, is how he references mm. them, which is like there's no other direct analogy for that besides how people feel about black people in that scene, especially for them. He's like, I'm sick of them. There's like one down, so many to go. Yeah, the there's Jews. Also, the Jews were also referred to as rats and whatnot. At that's one a point. good reference too. Yeah, so they were essentially talking about anyone who's like disparaged, anyone who's sort of like the minority. Can I uh, an interesting thing about language and whatnot? Yeah. Um, I learned recently that um, Nazi Germany's military during the time was called was called um, Wehrmacht, yep. which means defense force. Yeah. So I've always thought that that was. I just learned this yesterday, and it's kind of like a little off topic, sort of. But um, it's really interesting that they would call it the defense force and use and like specifically in the German language, that is what it means, yeah. defense force, while they're using it to be offensive to other countries. So it's really interesting because it basically they create that narrative that everyone's against us sort well, of yeah. idea for like the people so the people can rally behind it. Yep. Insert insert fascism, insert nationalism, et cetera, et cetera. Anyway, yeah. back to the movie. But yeah, that's no, just an interesting really good. an interesting bit that I yeah. learned recently. Well, they, there's there was no shortage of specific language that was used in the film. There's specific quotes that I picked up on from the dad. He get, he basically tells him what the hell he's going to do at the beginning of the film. So he mentions that he has these two candle holders, which he's like, oh, I got these in Bali. Like, no big deal. And then later on he says, um, oh, it's a privilege to experience another culture, which is like, are you kidding me? Like, he actually says something like that. And then says that How long he loved Obama. He loved you know. Obama. Oh, yeah. He has to make he, that, like, he, super apparent yeah. as soon as he gets here. Oh, yeah, you're black. I love Obama. <laughs> Just like. Yes, exactly. And that, and that he would, would vote for, for him. Obama for a third election. He would vote for him for a third time. But you know what's interesting that you mentioned Germany? Mm-hmm. Because he, the dad talks about how his own father was at the Olympics that Adolf Hitler was at. Huh. And so Jesse so, Owens run. Yes. Where essentially... Adolf Hitler held the Olympics and was very proud to show off the German people and all the things that they were going to win and then gets freaking outdone by someone who is black and wins almost every single gold medal. But his grandfather came second to that guy. And then he even mentioned how his grandfather almost got over it. (laughs) (laughs) Almost got over it. And then it continues to go through that story. Whoa, wait a minute. So the guy that's running... Yes. The dude that's running is the great. God yes. damn it. That, <laughs> yes, exactly. That's so good. He's still it's, running because he just yes. wants to. I need to be black so I can beat the one black yes. guy that I. <laughs> Who beat me back in the 40s. Yeah. You're exactly I right. I love the amount of humor that's kind of, that's in this movie, which yep. was a lot. We just, when we did Midsummer, we kind of, you know, there were a few jokes in the beginning of it and stuff like that were, were pretty funny. And I've seen that a lot with newer horror movies where they're in, like, they're putting a lot of humor into them. Like, yep. not like. Oh, funny splatter gore humor, or you know, gallows humor sort of idea. It's more oh, so. Yeah. It's more so like like actual just conventional comedy. Nuanced. I, yeah, exactly. Just like that sort of thing, and I and I love that in this movie where he's calling when every time he's calling his friend yeah. to like get help. Yeah. <laughs> it's like oh his friend's God. like always like not very helpful. <laughs> like no, what his friend is super helpful. <laughs> oh no, he is helpful. Yeah. Never mind, he is Rod? really helpful. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Rod? No, that's right because he calls and has the. Yeah. That's right. He's looking out for him. That's well, right. Well, Rod, I, 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 yeah. I, 
I just I forgot that part. Excuse me. <laughs> well, at the beginning, his friend's really helpful. For the record, really helpful. He tells him at the beginning, "Why the hell are you going over to some white woman's house and meeting her parents? <laughs> yeah, there you don't go. do that." Yeah. And then and then in get the middle out. of the film, yeah, he literally tells him, "He's like, get out. You need to leave right yeah. now." And his phone fucking dies. But anyway, <laughs> they so they move They're outside. Always unplugging his phone too. Like. Yeah, they kept unplugging it. They're trying to trap him there. He even mm-hmm. mentions all of the good things about living there. Like he mm-hmm. goes outside. The dad says how it's complete privacy. It's a perfect place to murder people. Yep. And then he talks to do, about like unlicensed surgery on yep, people. Exactly. He even references the grandparents. This is such a good foreshadowing. He essentially talks about how his grandparents were living there and that they had Georgina and Walter, who are the two people that they traded bodies with, how they were working for him and that when his parents died, he just couldn't let them go. But he wasn't talking about he wasn't talking about the people who originally worked there. He was talking about his grandparents or about his own parents. They couldn't let him go, so he figured out a way to keep them around. But we don't know exactly what that is until later on in the film. And so they end up proceeding forward, and you're kind of still – you get super uneasy. And it goes into where he meets all of the people who are there. But before that, he gets hypnotized by the mom. And so what do you guys make of the hypnoti- like the hypnotizing? And then what the hell does the sunken place mean for you, or what can it mean for other people? Uh, the sunken place. I mean, if uh, the sunken place is, if I'm what you're referring to is when he goes under, right? Basically, so the sunken place, in my opinion, is like a area of your subconscious where you're just away from the conscious part of yourself. You're like basically you're under, under mind control sort of idea. So the sunken place, in my opinion, for him, it looks like he's basically being put in the background, mm-hmm. basically being put in the background for a white person to like you know yes. live his body through him. So it kind of plays into the. Once again, into the assimilation idea we explored in us <laughs> right, already. Yeah. It's pl- talking about that. In my opinion, that's what the that's what the right. sunken place is. Okay, what do you think, Eddie? The sunken place. To, well, probably from what I've heard and what I, I when I first watched the movie before watching multiple videos on theories and stuff, uh, the sunken place is about marginalization and how f- much we scream to be heard, right, and, and you, no one can hear you. Well, you're for you're sort of like your voice and opinion is shut down yeah pretty much and uh, or you're the backseat dr- like passenger yeah. and someone else has taken could still over see. and drive he was conscious much. of what yeah. was going on and couldn't really do anything plus the um actor steven root who who plays um milton Wadams in office space oh yeah mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. He's blind in the movie, and he yes. is an art curator. God, it's so good. Yeah, and Chris is a photographer, yep. and he has an eye for yep. seeing like a different, fresh take point of view of things, kind of like the character in Stepford Wives. Ooh, yeah, man, the Stepford Wives is such a good film. Yeah, we but, should we should probably do that for yeah. one of the future episodes because yeah. I, I would consider that horror. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like gothic it, horror. Okay, suburban but gothic horror. Never Sorry, watched that. Getting before, really so It's all good, <laughs> but. Like Chris is an urbanite who's going to suburbia, where she is yes. out of his element, pretty much. Yeah, I mean, we, I I do have to say though that when you see Chris's apartment, it is nice. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He's definitely made a nice living for himself. He's as got a some of his own work hung mm-hmm. up. Yeah, and he's got like Childish Gambino, Redbone playing. <laughs> yeah, it's no mistake that that was playing too. Like, yeah, the, I think the there's always so a reason and purpose chosen. why that. Yeah, so it's, he's the he's the successful city guy. Yep, doing he's yeah. just doing his own thing, and it's right. sort of like a multi talented. Um, but it's kind of like also saying though, even like even as a black person, your like class and society, well, song, or your, it doesn't help you exactly. Isn't the song called "Awaken My Love"? Is that the name Childish of the? Is that the name of I'm it? pretty sure that's the song that plays in that one. So Red it's bone. interesting that they play it. Well, it's, they play. I mean, the album. Sorry. Oh. Um. 
So the album itself and then the actual song, yeah, is Redbone yeah. that they're playing in that one. But Chris um, is trying to be polite, even right. when people are just like slewing him so much with right like, and so that was literally like the next scene that happened so he gets hypnotized he's not sure he tries to bring it up to rose who kind of dismisses him yeah which is a really good reference to how people usually bring up problems and then it gets somehow brought down they're like no it's not that serious and yeah. this is a really good thing for like one of the best references i can think of is there's certain letters that um, martin luther king wrote when he was in jail when he was in birmingham and it's a letter from Birmingham where he says that the most dangerous person at the time when he was trying to essentially fight racism was not the Ku Klux Klan member. It wasn't the person in the hood. It was the moderate white man who told him that he had to wait for a later time and that they would constantly do that to him where he was like, I need this to be handled now. And they would always tell him, no, we have other issues to handle. This needs to wait. So he even said that the most dangerous person at the time wasn't these people who he knew what they were going to do. These are the people that he knew were going to be violent with him, as opposed to other people, the moderate white man who ended up being something that was more dangerous because they were stopping him without really doing anything violent. And so that was the most troublesome thing to him. And he wrote that in a letter. But almost no one really reads those because they didn't think it was most important. They just remember him for like the most famous speech and things like that. And so he at one point was really, really sad about something like that happening. And so that was a really good reference to that sort of thing that happens with people of color where they try to bring up a problem and people kind of just dismiss them yeah, this and is, they don't really think it's a good thing. This is like true of many minorities that experience yep. issues in like they experience issues and then their issues are basically uh, degraded is not the word for it. It's like a sen- it, it's basically made as not a big, there's a word for it though. Like, you know, for, for yeah. say for uh, uh, their blank their experiences you are like negating their experiences or you are uh lessening their experiences yeah, it's like lessening or, or invalidating invalidating that's the yeah, word you're invalidating really... their experience yeah. is basically what happens a lot of the time so they say like i am be experiencing i am experiencing racism in my you know workplace no nah, i don't think it's really as bad yeah as it's you not think. as bad as you claim i've heard jokes about mexicans so many times right. you should or just get used to it or even worse <laughs> even worse is what they'll say uh, like you'll hear a mexican person or a black person make a joke and they'll say i can make that joke because i'm mexican because i'm black yeah and it ends up being kind of this worst thing that kind of it's brings not any better yeah you're it's not, not any better you're, not, you're, you're you're still making your entire people look like shit yeah Good and job. so that, that's like, one side job. of it yeah people will people feel that if you are trying to work towards a certain vision of what's going on that statements like that aren't going to help the situation whereas mm-hmm. other people feel like they should be able to and so that's the ultimate fight that sort of gets created between people and what you're going to do in a situation. It's like, because like the whole thing of comedy is like punching up is one of the most, like the important things in comedy. Yeah. You know, punching up is like people yes. who are in power. So in a way you're, 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 you're in the down party. You're in like the down group and then you're just punching down to the people that are with you. Yes. <laughs> just like, yeah. Yeah. Basically. So you're not advancing your own. No. At least you're not, it's not so much about individual life. It's about group life. Yeah. You know, it's about it's about social group life and like how they are treated as a group, not individually. Because Chris in the movie is an ind- as an individual is doing pretty well. Yes. He's doing pretty well, yeah. but that's not a representation of the whole. No. For sure. And so what's interesting is so they go into the next scene, which is all of the um, white people that he meets and all these weird things that they tell him. Mm-hmm. And so I wrote down every one of the quotes because they're all creepy. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so first. He talks to an old man who used to play golf. Mm-hmm. And he wants to obviously get his body so he that he can play tiger. golf again. Yeah. Yep. He is like, you know, I wasn't as good as I used to be, but I do know Tiger. 
That's like his one <laughs> reference. And it's just like, wow, literally the only black golf player that you can think of. Literally just, he's gunning for Tiger. Yeah. That's his goal. So he wants to, yeah, he wants to be just Even like as Tiger. a white guy, I hate golf. And the only golf player I know is Tiger Woods. Yep, exactly. And then it goes into the creepy old lady who wants to have sex with the black man. Who is, <laughs> yep. is it true? Is it better? And she like gets closer and like grabs his arm and they're like, wow. Like, this is weird. And it's then you get like a, a, a shot over to the old man sitting in the chair who can like barely breathe. <laughs> he's like wanting to get like. Can't wait for new lungs. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Also, Chris smokes. And yes. they say in the movie like smoking kills you poisons it's a, you yeah it's a filthy habit they habit. need a healthy healthy individual vessel yeah pretty much they want to get him to stop for ulterior motives not because it's good for his health to stop smoking <laughs> yeah. yeah it's fucked up and then you have the other dude who says oh you know fair skin white skin was in fashion for a long time but that's not the case anymore the pendulum black is swung is black fashion. is in fashion which is like a direct like he's there's no way to like even subtly and he do tries that. to look cool in this black and yeah gray he's wearing suit. all black outfit yeah this doesn't even look so you get this idea that they are all sort of figuring out the best qualities that they like in him which is really just sort of looking at his body and his skills alone Mm -hmm. they don't give a shit about who he is as a person they are essentially they don't ask him like super personal questions but the mom does just so he can use him to get into the sunken place like right and then he has so and then he has the moment with andre who I think is a different name at this point because he's been replaced. Darius, man. Hey. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> so he goes over. He is stoked because he's like, thank God there's another person here. There's another black person here. He goes up and immediately realizes that something is wrong. He tries to fist bump him and he, he shakes. grabs his hand. Yeah. He essentially grabs his hand, like wraps it around his fist, doesn't fist bump him. And like everybody knows like you fucking fist bump somebody. So that yeah. is already like a weird thing. You're like, oh, God, he just grabbed his Nerd. hand. <laughs> It's like, no, it's weird. It's weird. Just yes, grabbed his hand and walked away. And then, and then you have the moment with uh, where he talks to the blind art dealer. This is like so many things wrapped into one. So of course it's ironic that he's a blind art dealer. Mm-hmm. But then he gets into this idea that because he's blind, that he is essentially like colorblind. That he doesn't give a shit about whether or not he's black or not. He just wanted to have his eye to be good at photography. But this is like that false narrative of people saying that they don't care about race and that they sort of want to deal with other problems, that they hate everyone equally or Mm -hmm. that they are all in this nihilistic thing together. But really what it is is this false narrative that people put out when you actually do have to pay really close attention to race. You can't ignore it. It's something that you really do have to get into because to ask someone to not see color anymore is to ignore all the things that have happened to them before. They essentially have to start clean slate which is in no way fair to ask people to do something like that because there's so much that's already happened. You can't just ignore it Mm -hmm. and start over with something like that. So the fact that he's trying to hide behind that makes it seem like, oh, he's like an alternative kind of person. But really, he just just really is trying to appropriate whatever culture that he's going into. And in this case, he's the one who ends up, uh, quote-unquote, purchasing Chris at some point, Mm -hmm. which we'll get into in just a second. But what did you guys think of him specifically being replaced by blind art dealer (laughs) (laughs) and the idea that you wanted that you that uh, chris is yeah because yeah the art dealer buys chris because he has an eye for photography and whatnot and for visual art um so what did i think about do you think it was done on purpose that he happened to be blind or that he was talking about his photography he does talk about something that's kind of personal to him where like this is the only person that was really engaging him in a like 
different way than the other people were, mm-hmm. but he ends up being the one who buys him. So it's like, I don't know how to feel about that scene because he ends up being the person. Well, everyone's there for the sole purpose of buying Chris. Right. Mm-hmm. And because it's a silent auction. Yeah. Where they're doing literal silent auction. Yeah. That's yep. fucking crazy. Literally, I can't believe that they auction. actually like did something like that. And holding up bingo signs and on uh, Dean Morris, um, you can tell he's going to be the one that's going to win. Yeah, they give you an idea. Yeah. And I think that was definitely on purpose by Jordan Peele because he wrote this movie. Right. Well, I mean, it. it's a direct, direct metaphor for the slave trade. Mm-hmm. For when yeah. they, yep. would, they yep. would essentially uh, appraise somebody and it's what they were doing that whole time when he's meeting with people. They're appraising him. They're seeing what are the best qualities physically that they are going to inherit by purchasing his body. And so this goes really heavily into how people are seeing black people, how people are seeing people of color, that their traits, their physical traits are often things that people are looking at. And then they want to appropriate most of these things. It's like what people do with dreads. It's like what people do with certain fashion styles, with them wanting to look a certain way without going all the way, like the way that there's colorism. So how people deal with whether or not you're dark enough and how those people kind of associate with each other. Like that one woman who thinks she's transracial, Rachel Dolzer. Uh, oh, I forgot about that. Yeah, because yeah. she thinks she's blocked, but she's fully one hundred percent white. Yeah, and is just tanning uh, herself. Yeah. Really I, I've, I've seen this exact sort of. Thing. I didn't she know that's what her I, hair and stuff. Sorry, I oh no, you're, you're good. You're good. You're good. Um, I've seen that exact like where uh, an example of that in the real world that I have seen was uh, a person that I knew watching a baseball game. Yep. And I did not expect him to start yelling racial slurs at the uh, TV oh, at the time. Shit. I did not expect that. It was like it was like, oh my god, Jesus Christ! I never want to talk to you ever again. Yeah. Now. So, um, basically, it was uh, he was watching a football game. I don't remember who it was. Black guy dropped the ball. You can only imagine what wonderful, wonderful words came out of his oh, mouth, and so shit. it was sort of like represents that. Um, I'm not going to start going into no, it on fine. here, of course not, but you can already imagine. Yeah, yeah, goddamn blank dropping a ball, yeah, et cetera, et cetera, and I was just like, Jesus fucking Christ, dude! Like, yeah, that's fucking. Was, super but I mean, that's an ep- representation where it wasn't. He wasn't even seen as a person. He was just no. seen as like his his performance in the ball game was more important. Yeah, and therefore, you know, you were apparently allowed now to discriminate against him and be a racist piece of shit. There's because. really, really, <laughs> there's a really interesting article I read not too long ago about how people being a part of big sports programs like the NFL, the NBA, and things like that is another form of essentially modern slave trade. Because every single player, the only thing they care about them is their stats. How good of a player are they? And they get traded. They get traded, purchased, moved to other places. They almost never stay in a team for one, like one year, two years. They end up like moving months at a part. That's a really, that's a really good, like good interpretation of that. So much good and stuff. It's, and almost like, I mean, I don't want to say that it like fully transcends race, but it almost does kind of because there's white football players too. Yeah. There's like other, like in basketball is kind yeah. of like that. All like sports in general are just kind of it should trading be, people yeah. for their physical abilities. Basically. Yes. That they've managed to make it something that is socially acceptable and no mm-hmm. one thinks twice about it. Yeah, nobody. It's yeah. interesting. Very interesting. Yeah, so there's something interesting about that. Mm-hmm. Go ahead, Eddie. Yeah, well, sports is mostly now like a business. Right. It's not about the thrill of the game as it, I feel like it used to be. Like for Right. When, when the NBA started, people yeah. were definitely all about the players and the show and like their showmanship, essentially, for how good they were with like people. They cared about their personality, like who they were outside of yeah. playing this sport and often had interviews and things like that. They had like trading cards that was like the biggest thing that they had because you wanted to see this person be like them they were like 
lot of people's heroes. Whereas now it's sort of turned into a stats thing. You yeah. watch any ESPN or thing like that, the only thing they talk about is their stats. You don't hear anything about their personal lives. And so they end up continuing to do something like that with this. And so they have their silent auction. And so you find out that the blind art dealer, that was that was interesting. Yeah, he had specific hand motions for when he was mm-hmm. uh, running the auction. Yeah. And he, I, I would, can only assume that they paid $10,000, $100,000. I don't really know. But, yeah, it I'm must have been sure, an excessive yeah. amount because no one else was bidding except yeah. for that guy, and then he wins. You're paying for a medical procedure here, I right. suppose. So I guess it'd have to be a ridiculous it's a amount ridicu- of money. It has to be a ridiculous the coagula amount of money. Yeah. Right. Or procedure. So then you get the moment where Chris goes off with Rose, who seems to just be orchestrating the whole thing along with her mother, and she takes him away so that they can have this auction first, and then second, to really have him trust her in that moment. And she even suggests that they leave. And so she sort of accelerates everything that happens. This is really like one of the other things. This is like the third act starting mm-hmm. of the film because this is when you fully find out what the fuck is happening. And he gets into the house. He tries to leave and he finds the box where she, he really starts unfolding what, what she's her. been doing. Yeah. Yep. She has been luring oh, it's all people. The pi- oh, it's all the pictures of all her past boyfriends, right? Every yep. single and person. Even, um, the one who – shit. What's her – Rose? No. Uh – Oh, Georgina. Yeah. Like, like she had like a set up a lesbian relationship with mm-hmm. Georgina, just so she can use her to be for like grandma's vessel. Well, the last two are Georgina and Walter. Yeah. The last two photos that they see, those are the most recent procedures that they ended up doing, and then so he sees that. But it was interesting because it was open and it was easy to find. Almost like she wanted him to know what was going to happen right before it happened, but he doesn't say anything about it and instead tries to trust her and leave, but then they don't let him leave. Oh, no, no, no. And no, so no, he no. finds out really quickly, and you get that face shift from Rose where she's like acting like she's crying and then pulls out the keys and she's like, you know, I can't do that. And then switch to a really serious mode. Yeah. And it's also no mistake that the thing that they use to sort of put him into the sunken place is a cup of tea. Which is a symbol of domesticity, and yep. we use tea, our history with tea, with like the Boston Tea Party. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Yeah, you get you get it. So, like you said, it's a symbol of the domesticity. It's a symbol of certain high class people drinking tea. It's also a symbol of colonialism because everyone from Europe drank tea most of the time. And so, it's no mistake that the thing that ended up bringing down the main black character in the film is a cup of tea. Yep, <laughs> which is really fucking ironic. That and what saves him is cotton. Yes. Oh God, I want. I love that part so much. We'll get into that in just a yeah. second. That's so good and like such a nuanced piece of writing for him to use something that was so much associated with oppression as the thing that saves him yeah. for what's going on. And so he gets put under. He gets chained up, and then he gets to watch the video from the grandfather who talks about the whole process. This is when mm-hmm. you get everything explained. Yeah. And so essentially what they're doing is switching out the brain from the white person, putting it into the black person, but they can't exactly get rid of the person they used to be. And so this goes directly into the assimilation idea to appropriation. And then also to what is it like once that culture has essentially been assimilated and what is it like after that? So what is the post result of that, which is them having to live together and how that sort of is getting oppressed in those moments but i like what eddie brought up where he looks like he is not going to be able to get out he is stuck he's like he's tied up in a chair he can't figure anything out and he is nervously scratching 
the chair that he's sitting at and then discovers that there's cotton coming out of it, which he stuffs into his ears so that he doesn't hear the clanking of the teacup that puts him under. And cotton was used as for like a a slave. Like, yep. Yeah. My words are just not (laughs) like, it's the it's it's, a representation of, of the oppression of the yeah, people. Exactly, yeah, exactly. Thank you, Mitchell. Yeah. yeah. Got you. Thank yeah, you, Mitchell. I got was, you, buddy. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> That's the most common plantation that was in the South when slavery yeah. was happening. It was cotton fields, and it was Tobacco. not an easy thing to collect nope. because it just tore yeah. up your hands. Yeah, because yeah. the, the, the cotton, like, the it has surrounded by like thorny bushes yep. and whatnot, so it's not the funnest thing to deal with. Mm-hmm. Till they invented the cotton gin. Thank yep. you. <laughs> yes, right. Thanks, yeah. engineers, bringing yeah. us out of Fuck. that, I guess. And so, <laughs> so he figures out a way to put it into his ear, and then he pretends that he's out. And then the brother—I can't remember his name. Do you know? Do you know what the brother's name was? Rose's I, brother. I just had him because I was going to mention about like the a little bit of like sports talk. Hold on, Jeremy. Yep. Yeah, like he talks about UFC. <laughs> yeah, like it. Do you ever? Like use like, oh jujitsu, yeah, yeah. Chris knows jujitsu, so he's gonna be like three steps ahead of Jeremy when he like tries to stop him from getting out the door. Yeah, and Jeremy it says if you push your body hard enough, you could be a fucking beast. Yep, and usually you yeah yeah because you associate like black guys to be tough and like rugged kind of men and beastly, and that's I think kind of like the opposite even of who gabe was and get out or us oh yeah yeah exactly he he started off similar he was sort of like he wasn't a violent aggressive person Mm -hmm. Um, but in order to really move away from what's going on and to escape the house he he does have to do certain something i'm also glad that chris took jeremy out that way because jeremy was annoying the fuck out of me (laughs) wait how exactly does he kill Jeremy, because he's not dead the first time he hits him. Not with the um, that fucking ball. That yeah, well, it's it's what they the ball they use to play polo, is is the, what they use mm-hmm. for that scene. Yep. He like smashes him over the head with it, and then he drops to the ground, and you think he's dead, but he shows up later. Bocce ball. That was it. Thank yeah. you. Yeah. The, the, it's not. Uh, yeah, bocce ball is where you toss the ball and hit another ball. Oh, okay. I I remember playing that See, a couple. John, times. only white people know about these things. <laughs> <laughs> Only like elderly white people know what fucking bocce ball is. I even, like, I've I, heard that term like once before. I don't even care for bocce ball, and I've played it yeah. with people. Interesting. Like even like you can equate it to like hacky sack. Almost. Oh, okay. All right. Yeah, just a way less cool version of hacky sack. Right. Yeah. So All then right. the so then the film turned into he's got to escape. So I think it's hilarious that he killed the dad with the head of a stag. Yeah, because he hel- yeah. hates hates deer. <laughs> he hates a deer. The stag is already dead. Gets his revenge after that completely stabs him with the with the antlers mm-hmm. and just like rams him just runs straight into him and kills him like that and then the other dude who was supposed to get the surgery i can only assume just died on the table because the surgery wasn't completed <laughs> after getting his skull cut open mm-hmm. and like all the brains like dumped out basically <laughs> so that guy dies there and then he goes out to confront the mom the sister and then the brother shows up again but the mom <laughs> The mom tries to put him under with a teacup, which he just smashes on the floor. And then she tries to stab him with some scissors. Or was it a letter opener? Yeah, a letter mm-hmm. opener. And he's just... It goes straight through his hand. Oh, yeah, I love how right. Chris doesn't like scream or anything. He just no. holds it in and just like... Then forces it to her throat and kills yeah. her with that. With it through his hand. So he gets his hand up against her throat with 
the letter opener straight through. And so this was an interesting moment for the film because uh, you are really cheering for him to murder people. Yep. <laughs> like, get the fuck out. <laughs> you hate all of them by this point. You want him to escape this house, and it is so Rose got her weird white shit thing going on where she has her Fruit Loops and her milk separately. <laughs> He's a psychopath. Yeah. <laughs> He's a straight psychopath. Think, do all like white people eat their cereal like that? Separate, like yeah. just cereal and you then drink a couple of milk. You got your cereal and your white milk, and you're just keep things separate. Don't keep things together. Don't have like cocoa puffs and your milk together <laughs> it's all gotta be kicks that's crazy what, what is it with like with like racist white people being like shown to have something weird with the color of their food you know <laughs> you ever, yeah like, fucking fucking it's like I, I just i only remember from american history x there's the big fat white supremacist oh, dude that's dude. separating the jelly beans yeah. all the black ones in my jelly beans <laughs> just fucking so petty and shitty and dumb well, like it's like what? <laughs> you don't like licorice? You know? <laughs> not that flavor of licorice. Yeah, right. Apparently not. Well, red licorice is the best licorice. The best licorice, I mean. I'm just saying. Yeah. No, that's true. So so then what happens after he gets the mom? I don't remember how Jeremy dies. I, I for the life of me, cannot remember what happens to him. Because he, he tries to stop him from getting out the door. Oh, no. He stomps him out. He like throws him to the ground and then just like stomps on him, caves his face in basically, which they go. don't show. They like pull away for that scene of violence because it's like literally a curb stomp to yeah. his face. I love yep. how also this movie is not super gory. No, they're really subtle about all of the pieces of violence that they want you to see. Like it feels very minimalistic, and I feel like a yeah. lot of horror, uh, even today, depends too much on gore. Yeah, they want like, you to see the, the gruesome details, whereas this one lets your imagination fill in the lo- the other bits, yeah. which is really effective for them. But there's like medical procedure kind of like go- gore. Yeah, you have to see the brains. The, yeah, which is not <laughs> overdone or like the let over opener through the throat. It's not like so like yeah. all over the top, all in your face, like hostile. Yeah. Oh, God, I hate hostile. I hate that whole franchise. I never cared. I yeah. watched one and didn't care anymore. Yeah, I didn't care about it. So, right. So, he gets the mom, gets Jeremy. So, the only person left alive at this point is the daughter, Rose, Rose mm-hmm. who is up in her room listening to music and fucked up trying enough. Trying to find the next. Trying rock. to find the next dude to which she Googles NBA players <laughs> and starts looking at the most recent NBA players and Shirtless, it's so fucked. black dude holding a basketball yep. at the side. And she's trying to find like her next victim, essentially. And then the other two people are the grandparents, who you don't know are the grandparents until the grandma gets run over accidentally by Chris. And he puts yeah. her in the car because he's like, fuck, I have to save her because he thinks it's another black person. Mm-hmm. And then the Rose figures out that everyone's dead and runs out. And then she's like, grandma. And you're like, oh, fuck. Yep. The grandma yeah. has literally been traded places, which then you have to assume the grandpa is also traded places. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And he runs past her. And she's like, go get him, Grandpa. Yeah. <laughs> Which is so fucked. Yeah, also, doing the full sprint. <laughs> doing this really silly, serious face. Yeah. But also, everyone who has a post-op has the scar from the pers- Yes, surgery. you can see it. And she yeah. hides it with her hair. They have to wear a wig or wear a hat, or a hat. To, to cover it. Yep. And I love Georgina where she like tells Chris, no. No. Oh, no, dude, that was such good face acting no. where she cries and smiles at the same time. Yeah. Yeah, that was crazy. And so, right, so he puts you her in the car. it's like Stockholm Syndrome for them? Yes. The, oh, that's really good. Yeah, in the beginning of the movie. But it's not. It's them, like, it's like, 
the original Georgina is crying, and yes. then Grandma is like the. It's like two people trying to take the wheel at the same time. Dang, I didn't think about that. That was a a moment where she was able to break through, yeah. and show some emotion. But to break through like the sort of the facade or the yeah. hypnotism of. It also happens with is with Andre. The camera light. Yeah, when yeah. the light flashes on him, he runs to him and is it like, really "Get out! Like, like, get out! Yeah, you have yeah. to like get out!" But he doesn't know what he means by it, so he's yeah. just like, "This guy's crazy. Yeah. Like, there's yeah. something wrong with him." So, man, my name's Darius. <laughs> Do you know any? That group? ends up helping him later too. So, so, Grandma freaks out, gets him to crash. So he hits a tree, mm-hmm. and then Rose comes out there with a rifle, yep. and tries to shoot him, but misses a bunch of times. Yeah, Chris but then, thought he was gonna get like shown off the property with a shotgun right in the beginning of the movie and he's shown off the property at the end of it which is like oh fuck it ends up happening that way and so the grandpa ends up holding him down and is like you think this is like the end chris is gonna get fucking murdered on this (laughs) this Mm -hmm. freaking crazy adventure there's gonna be a funny line too where um grandpa was gonna say i beat you (laughs) Oh, dude, yeah, that Just was so Just to like, go back to his race with Jesse Owens because yep. he beat the time yeah. that Jesse Owens beat him from. Yep, they bring it all back full circle mm-hmm. for something like that. And then Chris manages to get his phone out and set off the flash, which gets him to break free from that bond that's happening where his brain has been replaced. Mm-hmm. Turns around, shoots Rose in the stomach, and then offs himself because yep. he doesn't want to live like that anymore. And so at that point, Grandpa is dead. Rose is on the ground bleeding. And Chris goes over and attempts to choke her to death. And she is just smiling with blood coming out of her mouth. And he just stops. He, like, can't even go through with it because, like, she is just laughing the whole time at him. Mm-hmm. And then you really are, like, worried that something is going to happen at that moment. And she tries to reach over for the gun. And he kind of, like, gets it away from her. Mm-hmm. And so he's like, okay, so you think he's going to escape. And then the final scare for that movie is a cop car rolls up. And you see the lights and you think, holy shit, Chris is about to be blamed for all of the murders in the family. And it's his best friend, Rod. Yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> He's, He's like, like, I found you. I found you. We got here. I, I knew someone was wrong. <laughs> so great. I, lo- no, I love that. The bit, best yeah. part of that is the very last line where he's I like, I told you. I told you. I told you so. Like, I told you. Don't do that. I told you. Get out of that house. Man. Yeah. Listen to your ancestors. And they drive away safe. Yeah, he gets away safely. Yeah, he I does lo- in fact get out. I actually- yes, <laughs> <laughs> exactly. I actually prefer that ending to the bleaker alternate ending where he was going to end up in prison, right. which I think was that's mostly the reality of what happens to like yeah, yeah. black guys who are accused for a crime they didn't commit. Yeah, even though it, the situation looks bad from a distance. Yeah, and. I prefer this ending because Chris gets to go free. He is not going to like end up in the a sunken place at the yep. end of the movie. Yep. He's not going to be marginalized, pretty much. And he also, I feel like, kind of gets away and learns sort of a strong lesson that he kind of needs to listen more to his friend, to listen to other people who are trying to warn him of these things, and to sort of be more conscious of what's going on around mm-hmm. him. And that is also a message for the audience as well. Yeah. To really pay attention to these Don't things. Don't spend a weekend with your pretty white girl's <laughs> parents, which they might like fetishize like you. and murder you. Yeah. Uh, switch out, abduct you. Yeah. Fucking invasion of the body snatchers. Yeah. I mean, it's yeah. sort of like a pay attention to your surroundings. Pay attention to yeah. what's going on. Look behind the veil. Observe. Yeah. You know, that sort of thing. Don't be passive. It was guess who's coming to guess who's coming to dinner but gong wrong yeah for real yeah, it's like night of the living dead separate wives and rosemary's baby <laughs> <laughs> weekend 
Um, so also a fun thing, and Jordan Peele also did the uh, the dying deer in the b- mm-hmm. beginning of the movie, and the voice on the TV on the Black College that announced like Rod's watching. Oh fuck! I didn't even notice that. Yeah, that's fuck. I didn't. Cool. Yeah, that's really good. I Shit. It's also weird. nice when like directors will kind of like subtly put themselves in movies like that. Right. I, like Alfred Hitchcock did stuff like that where well, he, he was like. Oh a, yeah, a man he walking his dog. He, you always saw his shadow somewhere. Yeah, his silhouette. Yeah, that was, became super famous for his stuff. Um, so one final thing, or at least my final thoughts on something like that. Um, I actually had a really much I had a much darker read of what the ending was, and so I immediately thought of that this can't be it. They can't be the only family doing this. All of the other people know about this, so like this can't be the only place that they're getting this procedure done. It's been been they've been doing it for years. Andre is still with them, figuring like he never gets freed from whatever's going on. And then it made me think about how uh, during slavery, the escaped slaves were almost always captured again. They like they did not let that go. They would hunt them down until they brought him back and they would punish them really heavily. Mm-hmm. And so what I took this as is that even though he got away in this moment, there this is in no way over for him. He's still going to have to deal with all the things that are going to come at him for the rest of his life, even though this was a serious, like, dramatization of yeah, what not, happened. It, it might be over for him. But maybe, not for everyone but else, not yeah. for, But, like, other black people in the yes. world that are going to meet the other people, like, the auction, like, the, uh, what's, what's the word for the buyers? Yeah. <laughs> the buyers or who are looking for. people who are for, looking to yeah. appropriate their mm-hmm. culture and things yeah, like so, that. Yeah, so, that, yeah, I think that's a really interesting dark take that I didn't even take from you. Because the ending, yeah, to me, it was just like, bleak. awesome, his friend gets yeah. him. Woo! He gets the fuck out. Yeah. Yay! And then I don't even think about the idea well, that. I didn't start thinking about that until after I got over the happiness of him getting away. Yeah. I was like, oh, man, but there's, like, other stuff and, like, yeah, all this stuff happening yeah. there's like all these other things they're gonna find all the dead bodies and that's then, why i like, always worry like will there ever be a sequel to these movies i don't think so just because they're such good standalone pieces because there's I, nothing you're not, it's not necessary yeah, yeah. he's made your, he's made it like he also he would not I, sell I'm not it suggesting he should ever do yeah. that but i always what not fear but just like i know horror movies tend to build off fran- like well he is gonna a make franchise. a third film he's gonna make a third horror film yeah because he wanted to make at least three that are all like similar in theme and mm-hmm. the social commentary yeah so he is gonna make a sort of a unrelated trilogy or at least like a what's the word um anthology well it's not an trilogy. anthology it's how they're like spiritually connected it's kind of like the apocalypse trilogy oh yeah like well, they, yeah, yeah exactly they so. like exist somewhat similarly in their universe and it's connected. like also Edgar Wright's like Cornetto trilogy yeah. and so he wants to do something like that but he's also transferred really nicely into the horror genre and is also the host of the Twilight Zone currently yeah I still need to watch that it's amazing yep. it's and so good he's got a Lovecraft show coming up too yep. and he's also producing and writing writing the new Candyman movie which yes I'm, I'm he's very, using the same actor who was yeah. in the original. That's awesome. Tony, well, actually, he's using um, the guy who plays Black Manta. And well, he's going to show up in it. Yeah, but yeah but I get Tony you. Todd is going to be in the original. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, he's going to I'm sh- excited for Candyman. I can't wait to talk about that one because that right. was like one of my top movies that actually bothered Such me and scared movie. me. Yeah, that one's a good one. Never seen Candyman. We, you, well, I think we have it set currently. We'll, one of the, I'll be watching yeah, it soon enough. Yeah, we'll be watching it. So before we go, do you guys have any final thoughts about either movie or both of them collectively, like a comment on Jordan Peele's work? I think it's fantastic that we have 
a director that's making uh, movies with an entire cast of basically just black folks. Yeah, people entirely because um, it's it's adding a note. Well, first of all, you're getting new perspectives. You're yeah. getting uh, a more plethora of different acting styles and whatnot from totally different backgrounds than what we're typically used to. It's good for art too. It's good for diversifying art and bringing it to a place that's not centered on one group of people anymore. And that's a good thing. And it's a good, I feel like this is going to be like a renaissance for horror in general, in a way to make it not so much about the fear and the blood and the gore and everything. And it's going to be more so about like, what is this movie saying? I've seen that a lot with new horror movies. So I like that Jordan Peele didn't decide to just cave to like a slasher movie yes. where he just said where he just said like i want to cast a black people in a slasher flick that's what i want or and just he didn't, switch it where they're yeah, the yeah. killers exactly it, it doesn't it doesn't need to be like he can make like yeah. a, a legitimately good movie still make it afraid of like um still have the fear be based in things that he is familiar with yeah you know what i mean not many people have the actually have realistic like life experience with being chased through a house by a slasher. Right. You know, I, I know very little people who've experienced that. I don't know anyone actually who's ever experienced <laughs> I that. I was like a few people. So, yeah, yeah, exactly. Like, who do you know? Man? Yeah. Um, but so I think that it's good that he decided not to do that and decided to take it with a more philosophical social commentary route while still keeping the horror aspect of it there. What do you think, Eddie? I like both movies. Uh, I, I feel like Get Out has the perfect ending. Mm-hmm. Us has a ending I'm still split on. Right. For it's the twist it's of a nice it. Nice choice of words. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I get out is very much that social commentary on the post Obama administration of yes. thinking we have moved moved past racism, but we're still living in it, regardless of how we might think it's pushed. A lot of it got rug. brought to light. Yeah. Yeah, and even when this movie came out right after Trump became president, mm. like this such good timing. Yeah, it, it was very good timing, and I like Jordan Peele's style. This I like that he's a comedian that knows how to do horror. Right, and there's not many people I feel like that knows how to do horror like that. Yeah, and there, it's more of a thinking man's horror. I would say it's more. Yeah, of you got to read into it. You can't take it, like, super face value. Yeah, and I like all types of horror. I, mm-hmm. I could watch, like, a very artsy kind of horror, like when we went to see Midsummer or there's Us. Yeah. I kind of prefer Us more over Midsummer myself. Right. Well, why do you think that is? Just because of the, the social commentary that they were doing? Some of the social commentary, Jordan Peele, but also because I didn't see Hereditary, and I kept going off oh, of, gotcha. like, Hereditary and Midsummer together. And yeah. Uh, with, I have my train of thoughts are all jumbled up tonight. My, I like both of these movies. It, where was I now? You're talking about Midsummer and Us yeah. and comparing why you liked one over the other. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I liked watching Us because it's more of like people go out to summer. Both of them are kind of similar in a way where you get to go out to these summer events and worse things happen. Yeah. yeah, yeah. You get an expectation of what's going to happen at first, and then it completely changes what's going on. Mm-hmm. I mean, so for both films, I think I like Get Out more, as much as yeah. like as heavily layered that us is. It became a little difficult to follow towards the end. I really like the pacing for Get Out. It's a little bit shorter too, at like an hour and forty minutes, as opposed to the full two hours. So you get to the action pretty quickly. 
and you get to see the awkward events unfold, things people are familiar with, and then goes right into what is happening. And it's such a unique and original story, even though it has really good source material and references like to Invasion of the Body Snatchers and things like that. But this was directly related to people of color and how they felt about their situation currently in the United States. So amazing social commentary for the time. That means a lot for the people that it was made for. And so I wish I saw Get Out in theaters. Yeah. Oh, man, I, I saw it in theaters with a full theater of people who were freaking out when everything was going on. And it's it's definitely an experience. I did yeah. it with both of them. I, I went and saw Get Out and Us and the whole theater, just people of color freaking out, telling him <laughs> to fucking run and get out and like to really find a way to help him. But we can't. So we're just watching him. And it's super ironic that that was happening. And so. Yeah, I think I liked Get Out. They're both amazing. He is an amazing writer. Jordan Peele knows how to really set his pacing to specific words and nothing is wasted for when he's going through. There's no extra scenes that are slow for no reason. He's trying to get you to build some sort of anticipation. Yeah, no, I, I, I actually agree with you. He has a lot of um, a lot of good like little details and stuff and everything is has a purpose. And that's yep. the great thing about it. Never, nothing ever feels like it doesn't have a purpose in both of these movies. Um, I do also pretty much agree with the table that I think Get Out is my is my personal choice. Yeah. I think it's the better movie. I think it's more accessible. Uh, it's more yeah. accessible to like to people to watch it because you can kind of clue into what's going on. Yeah. And then Get Out is more of like the art film sort of. You have to explore uh, it a us. little deeper. Us, excuse yeah. me. Us is more like the art film. Oh, you have for to sure. Dig a little deeper and maybe know a little bit more context for some things yeah. to pull those from. Whereas Get Out is like these are social interactions that we can see. And we, you know, in also sort of Get Out was his directorial debut, so he had to make something that people yeah. would love. Mm-hmm. Yep, but it's more accessible. Yeah, so that's, definitely. and I, th- I think it ends up being, quote unquote, the better movie of the two. Yeah, though Us is not bad. After tonight, I love the movie more now than <laughs> yeah. I did on my initial viewing. So much viewing deeper because, things. Yeah, exactly. So it. much more to look into. All right. Is there anything else? No, I like both movies. I'll just <laughs> say that. Right. And I can't wait to see his next movie, and I think it would be cool to like watch Horror Noir, which is a documentary on like black people in horror movies. Yes. Oh, I know what you're talking about. Yeah, yeah. that's really good. That's, that's nice. Actually, that might be a good episode doing, yeah, a, we doing just talking about like that, that documentary. Yeah, and, and, and or be a fun one. even like the episode of Atlanta, of the Teddy Perkins. Episode. Yeah, that specific episode. Yeah. That, that was crazy. Oh my god. Okay. Oh, yeah. So <laughs> before before I let everyone go. I just want to remind everyone, we're super easy to find. We're on all the streaming sites. So we are on Spotify, we're on iTunes, as well as iHeartRadio and SoundCloud. Those are the main places you'll find us. We also have got our Facebook and our Instagram, and we love interacting with people. So leave us a comment, especially if it's something that you wanted to add, something you disagree with, and we will discuss it more on the pages themselves. We like going into more detail. All three of us could not have captured every single detail in the movie. And we may have missed some serious details, or we may have explained something incorrectly, and we want to have that like fixed, basically. We're not um, omnipotent. <laughs> We're also not the <laughs> final say on most of these things. No. Yeah, so it's not sacked or saint. <laughs> so definitely let us know if you found something, or if you want to tell us a specific thing. And also, we love show ideas. So if you want to hear about something, and you've enjoyed other things that you've listened to, we want some new ideas because our schedule is going out probably close to the end of the year, and then after that, we're gonna have to figure out some more things and i hope by then people will suggest some things but thank you guys so much for coming out to discuss it i hope everyone always man stay spooky